Content warning. This series contains mentions of mental health issues, suicide, sexual abuse, and other sensitive subjects. This is your host, Andrew Pledger, and this is Surviving Bob Jones University, a Christian Cult. I believe in the inspiration of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testaments, the creation of man by the direct act of God, the incarnation and virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Episode 8 Being a Woman and the Grace Report. The first person I interview in this episode is Sharon, who is anonymous, and she shares her experiences of being a woman at Bob Jones University. So what was your experience as a woman going to BJU? Wow. So day one, I was wearing this dress, and I got stared at by an RA, and she asked me to go change my outfit, and it really bothered me. Because it was literally like an inch above the knee and you could have worn, you can still, I think, wear a dress that comes an inch above the knee. And so I was bothered by it. And, but I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And I went and I changed my dress. It was really like, I felt like there was so much control, like telling you what kind of outfit you should wear because you are being, as a woman, you are being a stumbling block to men. And it's, that's not okay. If I am wearing a dress that I like, okay, fine. It's like super hot. And I was like, okay, I'm going to wear a dress. And I'm going to, since it was like spaghetti straps and you can't wear spaghetti straps as a woman on campus because too much shoulder, because then you have to cover your shoulders and stuff like that. I wore another shirt on top of that and I tied it in the front and made it look like it's a skirt and top. And it was, the dress was a, like an inch above my knee. And it was, RA was standing right outside my door and then she walked up to me and mind you I was studying for a final and I was going to go to the DC by the way when I went to change my dress because I was not in the mood to look for another outfit before I went to change my outfit she asked me she saw me walking out of the dorm but then she asked me if I needed a ride to my dorm and she was willing to bring a car and drive me to my dorm And she was so fake because the way she did this was she walked up to me and then she was, she told me, hey, Abby, like literally, okay, yeah, sorry, I don't want to be rude, but I'm in a and I have to tell you that you kind of have your dresses like above your knee and I'm going to have to ask you to go to, if your dorm is like really far, then I can bring a car here and I can drive you to your dorm. And I was like, that was such a bitch move. If you just wanted to tell me that, then just tell me that. Don't beat around the fucking bush. So I was about to cry because this was like first thing in the morning. This was like at nine. I got out of the dorm and I had a class at 10 and I felt like terrible. But yeah, that happened and I did not like it. Another thing that's really hard for women is just like sitting in the car with your boyfriend which i think i mentioned earlier went out with a friend and we got lunch no dinner and then we got back then i went to dinner with our friend and then we got back we dropped them off at their door i think they got off and then we were just sitting in the car 
And there's the rule, third wheel rule, you need a third person in the car when you go out. But we did not think that was the rule if you were on campus. But apparently if you're on campus and you're in the car, you need a third person. So I was like, okay. So this RA was walking past us and I was literally showing some TikToks on my phone and leaning on his seat, literally on the seat that I was sitting on and I was facing my back to the door and she went and she told the dorm supervisor that we were all over each other and there is a connotation to saying all over each other and so that night I was called to the supervisor's office and they asked me if I was all over and I literally went three times three or four times to her office to explain what all over means and what we were really doing in the car because I was literally showing him TikTok videos. I got so mad but at the same time I was so scared that I was going to get demerits because that's how bad it could get. That was my warning and the next time like also we're not allowed to give each other hugs. I had a bad day. I failed a class and a bunch of other problems that came along with it. So I was like literally venting out. I was crying. I was not even about to cry. I was like bawling my eyes out. And he was just trying to cheer me up. This was his senior year. So we went and we got dinner at the DC. And we were walking back. And we were going to do homework together in the library. And he was trying to cheer me up. So he bumped me with his shoulder. And someone was sitting in the car. And I felt like someone was staring at me. And I look in the car. It's the Dean of Women. Yeah. Fun stuff. And my boyfriend gives me a shoulder hug and I'm like, then you take your in my head, I'm like, oh no. Oh no. And then but then she smiled at us, so I thought it wasn't a big deal. So I go into the dorm and I like get the stuff that I need and I was walking out and she came into the lobby area and she asked me if we had sex before. And so I was like, literally, you just asked me if I had sex with my boyfriend. Before, like, before that, she asked me if I was having a bad day. And you know how in a Christian community, you're supposed to say, I'm good. Yeah, so, you're supposed to always be happy and, like, joyful. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. And then I realized what I said, and I was like, I should have just told her. And then she's like, oh, really? So who's the guy outside? And I was like, and she's like, that your boyfriend? And I was like. Yeah, and just he told me that you were having a bad day. And I was like, oh, dang it. I was like, I did not know she was trying to target me. And then I saw text like, babe, she's coming inside. So I was like, oh, dang. Okay, so she asked me that if I had sex with him. And then there were people like walking in the lobby was just staring at me because she was talking to me and she wasn't even whispering it she was like saying it out loud and then I explained to her yeah I was having a bad day and this is what happened I don't know what he told you and then she's okay fine this is gonna be a warning she said that it's gonna be a warning but then the next day I was called to the supervisor's office and then she asked the supervisor and they wanted to see if our stories matched up if I was telling the truth. And he said that, yeah, she had this going on and this is why I was trying to cheer her up. Plus, he was doing his internship. Plus, for me, it was just super hard. It was a very hard semester. And 
I went into her office and I was like, I am in my head. I said to myself, I'm so done with this. I just started like crying and not in her office, but as soon as I got out of her office. But then we talked and she said, I was like, yeah, but she told me that it's going to be a warning. And she said that because she told me that you're giving to Mary. So you see how it's like contradicting and there's like lies on top of lies and like you're allowed to lie. But then the students, if we are trying to defend ourselves, then that's wrong. But I wasn't even trying to defend myself. I was trying to be honest with them. But yeah, we got 25 demerit. For a hug. For a hug. And not even a full It was a side hug. It was a side hug. And you're like just interrogated for this. Wow. I remember that was like, I'm so done with this school. I just want to leave the point. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to work hard, try to get out of there as soon as possible and go to another university because I don't want to constantly have to think about having to worry about this. And you are supposed to be authentic. You're supposed to be yourself, not something that you are forcing them to be. And I feel like at Bob Jones, they force you to be something that you're not. And I feel like Bob Jones has a lot of tendencies, especially with student life. And I feel like students are basically like freaked out. When you say student life or when you say supervisors or RAs and you're like, students are like on guard or they're like, and then be dead any minute now. But that is my major struggle. And I don't know what to do with that because I feel like as students, as a woman in that university, I find it hard to like just cope. I catch myself and struggling to just make it. And I'm yes. like, yeah, and I'm like counting down the days at this point. And that's not the way it should be. No. And I think it's just you're always being watched. And it kind of scary. Yeah. It always it puts you in this state of like hypervigilance in a sense. And it's part of the control. They want to control your thoughts, your behavior. So right. you're constantly thinking, Oh, am I on the rules? Am I following the dress code? Oh no, am I feeling happy today? Oh, I need to I don't want anyone to ask me about getting down because then if you tell someone you're mentally struggling, then they'll make you go to biblical counseling. <laughs> yes, and then you will be shamed and blamed for it. And it not even, like biblical counseling is not based on like psychological evidence. It's really dangerous because it's based on what that counselor believes mm. about mental health. Yeah, whether they're educated which, on it or which not, which is very scary. Mm. I don't know how it is in the guy side of the dorms, but I know in the girl side of the dorms, if girls share a problem, then it goes to. The supervisor and the RA goes, I'm like, you freaking bitch, you're an RA, you're a student. So if you had a mental issue, they're going to ask you what's wrong and you're going to go complain to them about yours. You're going to vent out to them about yourself. You're not doing that, but you're complaining about another girl's mental health problem to the supervisor. And then the supervisor calls you into the office and talks to you about it. And then the supervisor is always a big issue. And then the dean of women talks about it. Like, it goes to the dean of women, and then they make you go to biblical counseling. And somehow this person now is a testimony. And so they share testimony now, by the way, at Bob Jones. So there's the everyday Monday situation where they have student testimony time, which some of them are authentic, because you can tell, because some of them, like, professors are like, oh, this student's life is is authentic. And, And there's, you can tell the difference between how what one student says their testimony and who recruited the student to share their testimony. And most often than not, like students standing on that pulpit are recruited by student life to share the testimony. So my eyes, like I basically roll it and I'm like, this child needs to go to therapy. And so how 
did the university treat men versus women? What were the differences that you saw in that? Oh, I definitely think that like on the men's side of the equation, they're definitely not as strict. They are. <laughs> they are strict, but not as strict as they are with women because I give you a scenario where I was, I don't think in the men's side of the equation, your supervisor is going to text you in the middle of the night, which is, which happened to me multiple times. Oh, wow. I got like texts and emails, like just to chat apparently. And then I would go in there and it was not just chatting. It was then wanting to interrogate me about multiple stuff. Like me going to dance was a problem and they would talk to me. Next, Michaela Halliwell shares a story that illustrates the consequences of women not having sex education. So I had a roommate, I'm not even going to say what year, but a year. And in that group, women's health is not a thing. You're not taught about sexual health. You're not taught about STDs. You're not taught about your period or endometriosis, nothing like that. And I feel like I knew a little bit more because my mom was a nurse, right? But a lot of girls get there and have no experience whatsoever with anything, even their own bodies. And I had a roommate that was on her period and asked me, I would like to use a tampon for the first time. And I said, sure. And I handed her one, not even thinking about it, right? Yeah, here you go. Go use it. A couple minutes later... I hear a thud in the bathroom, just this, and I like go in and I look under the stall and she's passed out on the floor. And I can't believe I'm telling you the story. This is horrifying. She had passed out and she came to, and I like ran and got her sister and I was like, yo, she's on the floor. I don't know what's going on. And she says, what happened? What happened? I was like, I don't know. She came in here to put a tampon on it. I don't know what's going on. And she finally came to and she's sitting there like in a daze and I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, can't see, can't see. And I was like, what is going on? And her sister, who I I believe was a nursing major, got a couple of nursing majors and they pulled the tampon out of her. And what had ended up happening was in female anatomy, you have your asshole, you have your vagina and you have where your pee comes out. She stuck the tampon up where her pee comes out, which is the size of a pinhole. Think of it in terms of a man sticking a uh, tampon up his penis. She stuck it into her urethra and she passed out and it pinched nerves to where she lost her vision. And that is the danger of not having sex education in Christian environments. (laughs) It's a terrifying story. They never talked to me again. Those that room- Wait, did she ever permanently lose her vision? Did she not have her vision ever? But she came- pinched some kind of nerve that made her vision black out. Mm. Oh, mm. my God. I can't imagine. And also, like, the horror of anybody hearing that story is, how do you not know? As a girl, you and as a boy, you are ashamed knowing and touching your own body and familiarizing yourself with your anatomy. There's no sex education. Those chapters on anatomy in Christian schools are skipped. They skip them or they'll separate the boys and the girls and they'll very like generally speak in terms to you, right? And so the girls are not aware. They think using a tampon means losing your virginity. And so it's 
that kind of lack of education also is very persistent, specifically around sex and gender and sexual relationships and abuse and rape and consent. None of that is taught ever. I didn't learn what consent was until after I got divorced at 24, 25. Imagine that. In the next segment of this podcast, we will be digging into the Grace Report. And for those who are not familiar, this is a report of Bob Jones' mishandling of sexual abuse claims. And I am interviewing a survivor who was interviewed for the Grace Report. And the person I am interviewing is Erin Birchwell. And she grew up on Bob Jones University campus because her parents were on faculty. So she was there from 1979 to 2001. And she has decided to come to the podcast to share her story. She was brave enough to share her experiences for the Grace Report. And she's also been featured in the New York Times for her experiences surrounding sexual abuse at Bob Jones University. I am so excited to have Erin Birchwell on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Erin, for coming on and being willing to share your story and be vulnerable. But how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me and thanks for doing this podcast. I think it's very important. Of course. Yeah, I'm so excited to do it. And I'm so excited to dig into your story. And a big part of your story is being interviewed for the Grace Report. And could you explain to people what the Grace Report is and the organization? Yes. Grace is an acronym for an organization, Godly Response to Abuse in Christian Environments. It's a an organization that is made up of some pastors, church lay people, lawyers, even some counselors, I believe, that is hired by Christian organizations, whether it be a mission board, possibly a church, school, to come in and investigate any and all concerns related to sexual assault allegations. And they go in, they interview the people who come forward and fill out the online questionnaire, ask them what happened, and more specifically, what the organization did after they reported the incidents. And they write a report that includes what happened and the organization's response. And then they give recommendations at the end as to what they should do moving forward, restitution and policy changes, other things like even memorials or apologies that needed to be issued, staff changes, etc. And it's a report that comes out with the permission of the organization. Uh, it's really interesting in Bob Jones's report. We know what Grace is, but we still don't know why Bob Jones let them come in. It's a big mystery. I think that's the million dollar question that everyone would love to know why on earth Stephen Jones hired Grace. There's some theories. Was he trying to do the right thing? Did he know of some incidents and he was trying to do the right thing? Was he trying to stick it to his dad, Dr. Bob Thurge? Or was he trying to quiet online chatter? Nobody knows why the university would have opened themselves up 
to this kind of a report, especially with how many people that came forward and all the stories. But for whatever reason, they they did. And they put out a ploy somewhere in early 2013 and a questionnaire for people to fill out online. And that's where it started. What was BJU's response when the report was released? Did they follow any recommendations? And what did they do with the organization Grace going forward? By that March, the survey had been accessed over 538 times, and they had received more than 125 full reports. So they got a, a really big response. And so the investigation went a little bit longer than everybody thought it would go. But by January of the next year, so one full year later, Bob Jones terminated the report right before it came out. Grace says on their website that they don't know why it was terminated, but it was terminated. And so that's when a lot of us cried foul. It was supposed to be an an anonymous report, but we felt that it was important to, after going through all this work of dredging up all these horrible memories for a lot of us, we thought we're not going to go out without saying what happened. And so a bunch of people came forward. So they rehired them or they reinstated Grace in February. And then it was a whole nother... And sorry, what years... Can you say what years this, all this happened? Yes, they were hired in January of 2013. They were terminated in January of 2014. Then the final report didn't come out until December of 2014. So it was almost a two-year process. And I believe in the beginning, we were told it would be about six months. So it it was difficult to wait that long for the report to come out. But in the end, they did let the report come out. And it was pretty damning in what happened to different people, how many people, and then what the university did. So Grace made some recommendations. And honestly, Bob Jones, true to form, didn't really follow very many of them at all. In fact, Steve Pettit had given an apology somewhere in the middle of those two years It was just a blanket apology. It took a lot of us off guard. Oh, wow. I don't know that the school has ever apologized for anything before. But then by the time the report came out, he gave another apology, which was a non-apology saying, if we hurt anyone or if we didn't do enough for you, then we're sorry. So that was one of the if-thens, which is a non-apology. Grace had several recommendations. They didn't really do anything. There was supposed to be a public apology. That was the apology. They were supposed to have something called recovery assistance, which means a third party was supposed to come in for the future and handle these things. To my knowledge, there's no third party. Everybody in Greenville is connected with Bob Jones in some way. Anyhow, there was supposed to be something called a degree completion assistance. That is, if you were kicked out or shipped in, in the middle of your degree because of assault, that they were supposed to help you come back and complete your degree. I don't know of anyone personally that that happened with. They were supposed to do something called a time to listen. And that's where they were supposed to make contact with everyone that wanted to have contact. It was an anonymous report, but they were supposed to give out a blanket. Please come forward and we will listen to you. I do know that Pettit did listen to some victims. I know two of them personally. I don't really think anything came out of it. I guess they did do that portion. There was supposed to be a file review with the police. I did get a call personally from the police. It wasn't a great warm and fuzzy call. It was they were checking off a box, but I guess that did happen. They were supposed to do a memorial on campus. That didn't happen. And they were supposed to update, give an update on the changes five years from that. In fact, instead of giving an update, I believe I have this timeline correct. On the five year anniversary, instead of an update, 
they had Jim Berg speak in chapel that day on something related to either counseling or mental health or something along those lines. Those are the recommendations, those seven things. And that's what's on their webpage. And the university really didn't do much of any of them. I see. And really, for you, you grew up in this environment your whole life, right? At Bob Jones University. Yes. My parents taught there. I was born there. I wasn't born on campus. Like most of my friends had to be born on campus in Barge, the hospital on campus. That's a whole other podcast. My mom had a heart condition, so I was born off campus. But yes, I was theoretically born on campus and lived up until I graduated from college. Yeah. So you were immersed in this world your entire life. The courage that it took for you to come forward about this environment and the abuse that happened. And really, why did you come forward when there was so much at stake for you, this being your literally your entire world? Yeah, it was it was a decision. I should add that the same year that Right at the beginning of 2014, when the Grace Report was terminated, Bob Jones fired my dad, who had been there 42 or 43 years. They didn't give a reason. Of course, I speculated that it could have had something to do with me speaking out. I did choose to speak out to the news. But when they fired Grace, so many of us had put so much effort into it and heartache. And our our families had the same heartache seeing us hurt that while it was healing, It was like, really, you're going to say, don't talk about this forever. 15 years in my case, I was told not to talk about what happened to me. Then all of a sudden it was, please come talk to us. And then it was, oh, never mind, shove it back. And so when they fired Grace, some of us decided that we needed to go forward. And the news contacted me. I don't know how it got started in the very beginning, but it snowballed. And the news asked me if I would interview on the in the morning on the local news and I decided to, even though my parents didn't want me to, they still taught there. My dad got fired right after that. But I thought it was really important that some of the narrative gets squashed about the Grace Report. At the time, people were saying, it's just some disgruntled former grads or dropouts who hate the school. It's a very small number and the stories aren't true. And I thought by going on The news as a faculty kid where, you know, most of the faculty staff still knew me. My parents were still there. They might see that I really had nothing to gain by coming forward. I have a good job. I have a good life 500 miles away. I have no reason to bring these things up again. It doesn't benefit me in any way. And that I'm not some stranger on the Internet. I'm someone that grew up there. So I thought it was important to let people see that. There's a problem. And then and then, of course, for the students who remain there, like so many of the faculty kids I grew up with, we didn't have a choice where we went to school. And I know that there are kids still who they feel as though they don't have a choice. And I know that's a difficult thing to explain because most people think you have a choice where you go to college. But a lot of us did not have a choice. And so for those remaining kids, I wanted it changed because it, the culture there and the views on women and assault needed to change so that it would stop happening. And could you dig into their views on women and their views on women who are assaulted and how they're treated? And really, when people came forward, what was said to them? So having grown up as a faculty kid and a female and 
just personally, I've experienced how women are treated differently. And I watched my mom as a faculty member have different treatment than my dad as a, a male faculty member. There are a lot of outward appearance for women. For instance, everything they wear is dictated. And it's an interesting balance because you're supposed to dress attractively so that you can find a mate. But at the same time, time. You're not supposed to dress in modestly or too flashy, but yet if you're too dowdy, then you're not. So there's this weird cultural balance and it's shifted since I was there in the nineties, obviously, but it's still there. I had friends who were called in for wearing things that were too flashy. And then I know a girl who was in the same major as as me and a lot of my classes. And she was called in because she didn't wear makeup. And and she wasn't going to attract a guy and a life mate. She, she didn't wear makeup. So there was this weird, this is what you can wear and this is what you can't, but find this weird balance. The church that I went to, which was heavily affiliated with Bob Jones, the pastor was on the Bible faculty, still is. That church was stricter in a lot of ways than Bob Jones, which is, sounds so odd, but it was. The church I grew up at, they're very close to the Duggar church. And I know that's being talked about a lot, but the women wore long skirts, had long hair. They were in the quiverful movement, although that they wouldn't say quiverful, like there weren't terms, but it's all the same. I really think that Bob Jones is sneakier than even the Bill Gothard movement because the Gothard movement, as I watched that documentary now, there are terms for things. And for instance, the term eye trap, when they use that, you don't want to entrap men by wearing something immodest. Again, placing the burden on the woman and not the man. But what's so sneaky about the Bob Jones circles is that I know exactly what they're saying in these in this documentary about Bill Gothard. They're saying actual terms for these things, quiverful, eye trap, etc. Bob Jones have all those things, but they are smart enough to not put it in writing or not say it out loud. So they seem as though they're innocuous. And yet it's just it's the same stuff. It's just really sneaky. So this, so I also had the balance of this church that was also, the women looked like this, but the Bob Jones women looked like this. And so it's, it's just, you couldn't win. If I was winning at Bob Jones, then I was losing at church. If I was winning at church, I was losing at Bob Jones. So I had another other weird kind of cultural thing going on as a woman. Your body language was also something that was drilled into you as a woman, which I don't know that, I don't know that it was with men. How much you weighed was a spiritual matter, whereas I knew some overweight preacher boys. I don't ever remember them being pulled aside about their weight, but girls could definitely be pulled aside for being too thin or too heavy. Even something I didn't know until my adult life was looking back, I struggled with my posture because I was told in not so many words that I shouldn't stick my chest out when I walked. So I had, even as a speech major, I had a problem with hunching. And when I look back, most of the women at the church I grew up have this, that hunch look where they, their shoulders are curled forward because you don't want to appear like you're sticking your chest out. And that's just one little tiny example of the kind of pressure that it's placed on women. So yeah, your appearance was different. Your, even how you spoke, this was also addressed in the, the Happy Shiny People documentary. Women sometimes talked in a quieter voice like this, because that was submissive and you didn't want to be too, you didn't want to sound too abrasive or intelligent or pushy or bossy because that was not spiritual. Or just dominant in general. That's right. Because you were supposed to take the submissive route. And again, like 
people will say that didn't happen because I there's no recording of it. But culturally, that was very much a thing. Even with women, there was a lot of pressure on reproduction. And it was both ways. It was if you couldn't have a child, you were barren. And was there something wrong with you that God wasn't allowing your womb to be opened up? It's so gross saying that out loud now. But these were things that were said to people. When my mom had cancer the second time, the deacons of our church, all being also faculty at Bob Jones members, they asked her in our living room if she had any unconfessed sin that she needed to confess because she had cancer for a second time. I don't ever remember a man being asked if he had cancer because he had sin. But back back to reproductions, there was a three-child rule at Bob Jones. You were supposed to have kids, but faculty could only have three because that's all the school would pay for with education, meals, et cetera. You had to have kids, but not too many. When you were a GA, you weren't supposed to get pregnant. I have a friend that accidentally got pregnant and got reamed out. So yeah, those are just a couple things with women, but specifically with women who've been assaulted. When the story of what happened to me came out to the dean of students, Jim Berg and Dean of Men, Tony Miller at the time, and I got called in to tell them about it. The very first thing they asked me after I read my written several page statement, Jim Berg asked me what I was wearing during the times when I was assaulted. And when he asked me as a sophomore in college, it never occurred to me, or junior in college, it never occurred to me what he meant until after I got out of the room. And I was wearing my neckline was up. There's a four, three finger width rule above your collarbone, below your collarbone. I was wearing things that were loose fitting, that were not immodest, that followed the rules. But the implication, of course, and I was even asked, do you understand how guys' minds work? Because it was heavily implied that I must have had something to do with that. And in the end, I was not believed. My parents were told that they should take with a grain of salt what I was saying just because I was their child didn't mean that I was telling the truth. I as a student, I stopped getting approved to be in theater productions. I stopped getting approved to be a society officer. I got booted out of who's who. All these things are wouldn't necessarily mean anything alone. But when they were all together my senior year, it, whereas the guy who assaulted me, he was a preacher boy and he was in the preaching competition. Yes, that's a thing. He was featured as a soloist a couple of times. So clearly they believed him over me. And so, yeah. And and that is pretty typical, I think, for, for girls who've had similar experiences to mine. Mm, I'm so sorry. And I'm just, I'm not surprised by it because that's just what it's like in these environments. With the documentary with Shiny Happy People, I'm so glad that like America can see these awful teachings that are throughout all of fundamentalism and just see how awful it is and how they're trying to spread a lot of these other harmful teachings. And and it's interesting to me because there's a lot of response to the documentary and the things that are happening. And they're like, oh, like people would say things like, oh, it's not God, like it's people. And they're like, these teachings are good or this is the truth. And it's I'm trying to remember because when I when the documentary came out and you saw all these horrible things that was happening, I thought, I'm trying to remember this Bible verse, but it came to my mind. It was like, and you shall know them by their fruit. You'll know them. And like Bob Jones, fundamentalism, it produces rotten, awful 
fruit is terrible. It does. But what's but there's a huge irony in that too, though, Andrew, in that they're so upset about those of us who are speaking out against the school, but they created us. They're not called fighting fundies for no reason. They taught you that if you know an untruth, you don't stop until you expose the truth and you don't give up. And they created little warriors armies. That's the reason they're getting there. The truth's coming out now is it's just, you can't have it. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You created these, these little warriors for the truth. And then those of us that got out and said, wait, whoa, that wasn't right. No, this is how the world works. This is what true Christianity is. Of course, we're not going to be quiet. I do find it ironic, but not at all surprising that the Duggars are now saying the American media is et cetera, because, of course, they're going to remain in a martyr state. But you're right. The practices in all these movements are just damaging and so harmful, and they don't represent a loving God who delights in his creation, and they don't represent God at all. And the worst part about it is that a lot of people just give up altogether on religion because they cannot separate Bob Jones from what God really is. And I had a very difficult time in my adult life undoing, keeping the truths of scripture, but separating the bad application that was applied my whole life. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. And it's just the fascinating thing is like Bob Jones, they think that they have the right interpretation of scripture. And that their interpretation, their application is the truth. And I just think about when they wouldn't allow African-American students, when they banned interracial dating, they use the Bible. They're like, oh, this is the truth. This is what God wants. And then they eventually had to say, oh, yeah, we misinterpreted. I don't believe he ever used the word misinterpreted. I don't remember what he said. Now, I was a student when Dr. Bob III went on Larry King Live they made us all gather in the big SMA chapel. It's where they have chapels. There were 5, 000, almost 5,000 students, and they made us all gather. We didn't know why, and we weren't allowed to watch cable television. So it was odd that they were live streaming in Larry King, and then we see Dr. Bob III on there, and then he announces. He didn't say they were incorrect. I can't remember what he said, but he basically said, okay, in the year 2000 or whatever it was, 1999, 2000, okay, okay, you're right. We'll lift the interracial ban, which I mean, and again, people want to celebrate it and say, yay, they're with the times. It was the year 2000. There was not with the time. Like, let's not say good job for finally getting up with the times. But yeah, they never fully come out and say that they're incorrect on something. And honestly, I feel as though they would save themselves a lot of heartache if they would just occasionally say, we're sorry, we were wrong. And we're sorry to all the graduates before you. We've changed it. They won't do that, though. They just change something and then say those people are disgruntled and they're airing dirty laundry, etc. But yeah. And it's because they're such a narcissistic institution. Oh, yeah. So narcissistic because they care about their reputation above everything else. And like the ironic thing is that their reputation, I think, could have really been saved if they would have done the right thing all around. And didn't Bob Jones say do right until the stars fall? Like, (laughs) the fuck? That's right. right. Right till the stars fall unless we tell you not to. Yeah, no. Yeah, the narcissism and then. If you're going to be the mothership, and that's what they are, they're a mothership for thousands and thousands of other churches. They make the rules. 
when they say women can wear pants, et cetera, then all these other churches, suddenly women can wear pants. They're the mothership. And to be the mothership and to make the rules and to be able to keep doing that, they can't have ever been wrong on an interpretation of scripture. So they can't admit they're wrong because they want that narcissistic control. But they are the ones saying this is the interpretation. There is no other room for a different interpretation. And if you don't like it, get out. But if you get out, you're probably going to hell because you had the truth and you chose to not listen. In the next segment of this episode, Erin Birchwell talks about an experience that she had revolving around her abuse. I didn't want to go fully into everything that happened to me in the Grace Report because it's out online and I've been there and I know that there are many other people who've interviewed with the Grace. So my experience is just one of, of many things. But I had a really unusual experience and Having seen documentaries on Scientology now and the Duggars and all these other cults, I really haven't seen anything quite like what happened to me my junior year of college with my church and the school. So when I was molested repeatedly by a preacher boy starting my freshman year of college, everything came to a head by my junior year of college because it was secret for a while and it wasn't. And this guy had a real bulldog of a dad. His dad was in the military and his dad threatened me and my parents, he threatened to sue us if I ever talked. He also went into Bob Jones and threatened to sue them. He threatened the dean of men and students. He threatened anybody who was walking around and living and breathing. So some other things came to a head. And long story short, there was my church decided to get involved because we had started getting threatening notes in the mail. Like one of them had a cut out a photo of my head cut out and hanging on gallows. And it said, Cayman made his own gallows. You are making your own gallows by not forgiving so-and-so, et cetera. Because my dad would not let this guy sing in church, which again, sounds so dumb now, but in that culture, it was a big deal. And this guy's dad wanted him to be a big pastor in Greenville and all this stuff. So my church decided to get involved. So we set to have a meeting and I have the document and I can I will share it with you so that if you want to upload it for people to see, they can. But we met at midnight on February 14th, 1999. That was Valentine's Day. And we met at midnight because that guy's family didn't want anyone to see us meeting because they wanted it to be so secret that nobody even knew there was a meeting going on. So at midnight at my church, I'm a junior in college. I had to sit at a table. They had it set up like a courtroom. In the middle was the pastor. On either side of him was an elder. In the audience was this guy's fiance and her dad was an elder and wife. And then there were two tables like the defendant and the prosecutor. It was me with my two parents. Remember, I'm a junior in college, my two parents. And this guy who's in grad school, second year grad school, preacher boy, and his two parents. So we were set up like this courtroom. And of course, his dad was in the military. He came, he showed up in full military garb with this little suitcase. And he came in and he said, there's a world of hurt in here because he claimed he had a private investigator follow me around for a month or two and catch me breaking school rules. And he was going to get me kicked out. He was going to have me church disciplined. And being church disciplined was like one of the worst things that could happen to you back then. It, it, that was when, and I remember as a kid, 
a church discipline meeting was when somebody sinned in a really big way and wouldn't repent. And so the church would give you an opportunity to repent. And if you didn't, they would get up in front of the entire congregation at a meeting and it would be very somber. And I remember as a kid being terrified and they would speak the sin out loud and then say, no one is to have contact with this person. And they are kicked out of the church. And it was like shunning. So that was like the ultimate fear that was always hanging over you as a kid. Oh, please don't let me be church disciplined. So this guy had claimed he was going to have me church disciplined, et cetera. So we broke up to discuss, long story short, at the end of the evening, I still have the document. They hand wrote out this thing that said, on February, blah, 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 at midnight, this family and this family met, and we agreed that something happened, but we're, we can't agree on what happened, so we're going to agree to disagree and never speak about this again. And they made his parents and him sign it, me and my parents. The pa- we all signed this document saying we would never talk about it again, and then it was sealed up. I've never seen another document like that from all the things. I watch a lot of documentaries. I've never seen anybody actually be dumb enough to make a, a document that all these people signed. And a lot of people who haven't believed me over the years because they say, this guy would never do that. I've just showed them the document because it would be pretty crazy for me to have forged this pastor signature, these, all of these signatures. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve 12 signatures. Like it would have been pretty hard for me to have forged all those signatures. But that's why the Grace Report was such an odd thing for me. It was whiplash because it was like, shove this away. Don't ever speak about it. And then it was like, oh yeah, come on, come fly down to Greenville and tell me all about it. And I have a friend that I grew up with who her boyfriend was a preacher boy. She was actually raped in the basement of the theater of Rodehaver. And a staff member walked by and saw the rape happening and didn't stop it, instead turned them both in. She got expelled. He got counseling. I tried to get her to come forward to the Grace Report to interview, and she was terrified. She said, I don't trust anyone that the school's hired. And that was a big problem. I think a lot of people did not come forward for the Grace Report because Bob Jones had hired the Grace Report. And why would we trust the Grace Report? Because for me, it was like, don't talk. Now come talk. You threatened me within an inch of my life to not talk, but now you want me to talk? And a lot of people just flat out didn't trust that this was some independent organization. My mom saved all kinds of documents from the whole situation. And another thing she saved was an actual little typed letter from Bennett Jones saying, we're really sorry about what happened to Aaron, but in these instances, it's really best for the sake of the girl that you just sweep it under the rug. I'm not sure if she exactly said sweep under the rug, but something along those lines. And I still have that document also because... Again, like I, because of how we grew up, I feel as though I have to prove everything beyond a shadow of a doubt. I have to prove that this happened to me. No one's going to take my word for it. I have to prove that it happened. Uh, And again, so that was one of the things that was so cathartic about the Grace Report was that I didn't have to, I did prove to them. I did take all this evidence, but I didn't have to prove to them. They just believed me. They listened to me and they believed me based on other people's stories as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surviving Bob Jones University. It would be greatly appreciated if you could give the podcast a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews helps listeners just like you find the show.